Hello and welcome to the Believe in Chelsea podcast. I'm your host, Rob Prattley. This is episode four and today I'm joined by another absolutely fantastic guest, one of the most erudite, intelligent and tactical minds I know on Twitter, one of the best advocates for Chelsea from a tactical perspective. Uh, you probably know him best as CSC Central, I know him best as Sam. Sam, how are you today? Hello, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on. I think it's it's been a long time coming in terms of doing something together and I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. And before I begin, I'd just like to say, you know, a massive thank you for everything that you do for the Chelsea community. I think it's been incredible how you've had the patience, you know, the perseverance to answer basically every single question coming your way. I, I admire that so much. And, you know, you've brought knowledge you've bought, bought reliability and it, it's been terrific i'm pretty sure it must have been a crazy summer for you just like it has been for me but on behalf of the community i'd just like to say a massive thank you for everything that you do oh wow i mean f- firstly i'm very speechless thank you very much um for those very kind words again i have to echo them i'm in awe of some of your you know tactical analysis and the nuance if people haven't had a chance yet i want to just plug the thread that sam did on uh anthony gordon the other day um i know a lot of people are apprehensive about the signing it was a terrific piece it sort of broke it down exactly why it might be a sensible signing and I thought it was just you know absolutely brilliant in all honesty um yeah just one of the best things I've read in a long long time you do have a sub stack I believe that's linked in your Twitter bio so I recommend to anyone you know if you get a chance go over there and do sign up but after the uh after the pleasantries unfortunately we have to delve into the crux of today's matter which is unfortunately Chelsea's 3-0 loss to Leeds United last weekend. Sam, did you watch the game? Uh, twice, unfortunately. Once, you know, live and the second time when I was trying to break it down. I think that's the that's the worst part of, of going through a defeat like this. You have to wake up next morning knowing that you have to go through it again, multiple times, rewind, watch again. It's like you cannot forget the trauma that happens, unfortunately. But yeah, had to go and had to had to take those microscopic events that led to catastrophe. Mm. And of course, it's probably worth noting at this moment in time that I think a lot of people were possibly not necessarily expecting Chelsea to win. I think a lot of people maybe expect a draw, but I don't think many people expected Chelsea to lose 3-0. From from your perspective, obviously Thomas Tuchel after the game came out and said he thought that Chelsea didn't deserve to lose it. Um, Do you think that was just sort of mind games? I think he does have a point in in when I look at it from his context, to be honest, because the way we started, we started pretty well. Um, Conor Gallagher had that lovely through ball for, for Raheem Sterling. And to be honest, like in the first 10 minutes, we should have been 1-0 up. And when those things happen, obviously, the entire dynamic of the game changes. And uh, I don't want to dwell on hypotheticals, but I mean, if, if that would have gone in and the early pressure would have sort of told on Leeds, I think we would have been looking at a slightly different... Um, kind of perspective going into the game. And I think just not scoring and then after that, letting Leeds back in individual errors, that's just been the storyline, unfortunately, for us since the turn of the year. And history basically repeated itself, unfortunately. So I think I can see it. He doesn't want to let his players down in terms of from a mental standpoint so early in the season. But yeah, he has a point in terms of if we were able to apply our principles right, I think we would have definitely gotten away with something from the game. Mm, yeah, no, I, I do have to agree. And I think the big 
the big turning point for me was that uh, Sterling uh, disallowed goal for the offside. It was correctly called for the offside, but it was such a neat sort of suave finish, cut inside. And after that, I think they pretty much went up the other end and did take the lead. And uh, obviously, Edouard Mendy didn't cover himself in absolute glory for the opening goal being dispossessed by Brendan Aronson on the press. We'd seen it once before where he'd already had to make a panicky sort of clearance. Do you think that, you know, this was a Leeds' sort of successful pressing paying off or Chelsea being a bit too arrogant and being a bit too naive? A bit of both, I think, Rob, to be honest. Um, we do know that Mendy's got that occasional error in him. Uh, and and we've seen Allison and and Edison go through that phase as well. You know, times that they've they've made absolutely ridiculous errors on the ball. Um, there was this goal that you know Edison, uh, Allison, for example, was dwelling on the ball a lot. He got dispossessed, you know, basically in his own box, and and somebody scored. I don't remember the opposition it was against, but those things tend to happen when you play for a possession-based side as a goalkeeper, and you can't really tell your goalkeeper, you know start clearing balls instead of spending too much time on it because the entire brief is that you have to be the first initiation point of attacks. So I don't think you can tell Mendy, don't do that because it's basically his brief to do exactly that. He has to draw pressure. He has to make sure that he gets things right. So I think it, it's just a confidence thing when I look at Mendy, to be honest. Um, the way his short stopping has dipped, um, his diving, his anticipation, when you're underconfident, you know, those things show. He's not coming as often for high claims as he used to. I mean, there was this little window, I think, when he came in where after Kepa, I just realized that, you know, we actually have somebody who's running out and, and gathering crosses and, and gathering set pieces. It was really good to see. And and that feeling has gone away a little bit in the past year. I, I don't see him coming out as often being as, you know, in control of his penalty box as he should be. And he should be doing that more often considering we are, um, a little more vulnerable to to aerial deliveries in the air. I mean, I, I've just sort of like noticed that and, and I think we'll talk about it later on in the segment, but especially when that happens, then your keeper needs to be more assertive. So I think when, when those little things start creeping in, your goalkeeper's underconfident, your player stops showing up for the ball, you know, on the ball that he conceded, I think Kukureya and... And Reese should have sort of dropped and and made an option viable for him, but he just had hesitated for a second, and that basically led to a goal. So a culmination of factors, to be honest, wouldn't want to put individual blame on anybody else. I think it's fair to say that for the second goal, there certainly wasn't individual blame. It was a collection of errors. Firstly, I personally think it was a refereeing error to give the decision, because I do think that the uh, Leeds attacker went down very, very easily. But obviously, then once you're defending a set piece like that, you've got to defend better. And I think, you know, Reese James, as much as I sort of praise him and I you know, was effusive of my praise in the previous episode when we were discussing the Tottenham game, I thought that he was particularly poor. I thought he should have got closer to his man. And you can't really, you know, a player like Rodrigo is in good form at the moment. You can't really afford him a chance like that because it's in situations like these that those half chances do end up in the back of the net. Absolutely. I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, in those situations, you basically want all your players to be doing their duties right. And again, it was just a set piece, you know, like um, I think a lot of people have sort of seen that trend that in, in, last, in the last season, we only conceded four goals from set pieces. And it's already been two and two. And it's, it's a little worrying for me. 
I don't think it's Anthony Barry's fault, to be honest. I just think we're weaker in the air across the back line. And it's probably going to show, you know, throughout the season. So it's something that we have to be prepared for. It's something that we have to anticipate and deal with as soon as possible. Uh, but yeah, it it was just something that, again, it, it should have been, it should have been a avoided kind of error. I mean, I look at the duels one versus Spurs and um, versus Leeds basically in our box. We've basically lost a lot more duels than we won inside our box. I think it was one out of eight that we won inside our own penalty box um, against Spurs. And then against Leeds, it was, I think, the central part of the penalty area. It was three for Leeds and two for us and and everywhere else we lost. So it, it just shows that we are a little underconfident. I think, again, it's it's all a lot to do with, you know, new centre-backs trying to make sure that they've got their communication right. Um but I think it, it's definitely something that could be avoided and hopefully these situations will be avoided going forward. Yeah, and I think it's worth sort of saying, obviously, Chelsea did have a brief renaissance after half-time. They were perhaps a little bit unlucky not to get a goal back into it. I don't really want to talk too much about the third goal because I think by that point, it was a classic sort of counter-attacking goal. It was good play from Leeds. And again, they got a little bit lucky with the way the ball ricocheted. Uh, there might have been an offside sort of in there, but obviously... VAR decided otherwise. Um, and, you know, by that point, I think it was sort of game over. And the, the same with the Kula Bali red card. I feel like the the two things for me that really summed up the game were the Kula Bali red card because it was so clumsy and sort of so needless and such a sort of unforced error because it came from just giving the ball away again. And then also that effort from Ziek late on that looked to be travelling towards the top corner and be a consolation. I think Kai Havertz's back blocked it in the end. And that sort of summed up the game sort of for me. Just everything that could go wrong went wrong and everything that could, you know, go right from a Leeds perspective went right. I agree. And again, I, uh, the third goal was also, you know, bought on by a cross. Koulibaly basically missed his leap. It's something that I highlighted um, when I, when he came about a week, when, when the links were sort of solidifying. I did point out that his aerial prowess has always been okay. He hasn't been, you know, dominant in the air, to be honest. He's been, he's been good. But in the past few years, because of his age, obviously, the amount of time he takes to register and, and spring for a leap, I think that's sort of dulled because of age. He takes a little time, when the, especially when the deliveries are pretty quick, when they're snappy crosses that sort of end into the wrong areas. He needs a little time to jump. I was looking at a few games before he came here against Barcelona, against um, other opposition that he played in, and shorter players were able to time their headers in front of him and get shots on target. So it's something that maybe hopefully he will get, you know, the hang of, he will acclimatize well to the speed, to the intensity of it. Maybe he'll learn to deal with it the way Silva has learned to deal with how to deal with quick attackers on the ground because at 37, you're obviously not going to out-sprint a lot of the quicker attackers. So it's something that Koulibaly has to figure against opponents that are stronger, more elusive than than him in the air. But it was, again, a cross. And I think that's something that we need to be very, very careful about. And uh, like you said, I think it's just, again, a lot of ping-pong inside uh, the box, which basically should have been avoided. And the red card, I think it's just a cascade of unfortunate events. And it should have been, you know, maybe it could have gone another way, but, you know, don't want to go there and daydream about what could have been but hopefully, like we take this into the next game and make sure that we don't make those errors again. 
No, I have to agree. And I think that's exactly it. And uh, I think now looking forward to obviously the game against Leicester this weekend, hopefully you're looking for sort of a bit of a, I think a renaissance from Chelsea, obviously a Leicester side themselves that come into it in poor shakes, have been struggling. They've got off the field issues as well. And, you know, Chelsea at home are probably looking to hopefully put down a good win and, you know, maybe get the season back on track. Yeah, I mean, um, from from a on-paper perspective, obviously not just bad form. Madison is apparently out. Uh, they're dealing with a lot of issues for Fana's, you know, on and off. Is he, is he in? Is he out? Kind of saga isn't really, um, you know, having a good effect on him considering he's easily their best centre-back. So it's just going to be a, a pretty interesting game. Uh, I don't want to take a wounded animal for granted. You know, they tend to, to strike back really hard. So... Uh, hopefully we, like you said, you know, lay down a marker and it's the perfect game to, to go out there and make a statement. I think there are optimistic signs in terms of what the attack is trying to do. I mean, Gallagher was, I think, it was overshadowed by the final result, but he was really good in his duels. He looked lively. He looked a little too lively, but I think that was more nervous excitement more than anything else. So hopefully if he does get a start with us sort of not uh, finding any central midfielders in the market hopefully if he does start you know he makes use of that second game where the nerves are gone he's now sort of coming into his own and making sure that he shows whatever skills that he has to show so I do expect a lot of good things to happen uh that's me being my optimistic self and uh hopefully Sterling to get his first goal hopefully Kai Havertz to get firing again I mean that's what you expect but it's again how you set up your your team um, when you don't have, you know, Matteo Kovacic is basically like only available for 20 minutes. So how do you set up your site to to ensure that you don't get caught out like you did against Leeds? Because Leicester might try that. They're not going to be as energetic in terms of their pressing. So hopefully not a repeat. But, you know, Brendan Rodgers is a very, very good coach. So anything can happen. But uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that we come out swinging and absolutely fire on all cylinders. Mm, I think that's a that's a good point. And I think as you sort of bring him up there, it's a nice point to bring on to transfers and move on to Wesley Fafana. So obviously the latest I sort of have on his regard is that Chelsea are going to make another bid. It might come as early as today, um, around 75 million plus some add-ons. Chelsea are hopeful that this one will get things done. Fafana himself has made it very clear he wants to leave. He's made it clear he wants to go. He's training with the under-23s at the moment and you know has done everything he can from his perspective short handing in that full formal written request which maybe that will come do do you think Wesley Fafana is the solution to either Chelsea being able to move to a back four or alternatively being able to make the back three more solid in terms of all the transfer targets that we've been linked with I definitely think he's arguably one of the better options um in terms of his price, again, I don't want to talk about the price because the market is nuts. I mean, to be honest, Rob, we've seen that all summer. You know, Morgan Gibbs-White moving for 42.5. I think that just sums it up. Gordon for 60. Um, so I don't want to like dwell on the price a little bit, but um, I think it's a good signing. He's across a small sample size. I think he's proven that he's very good in the PL. Uh, again, somebody who's six feet three inches tall, excellent in the air, excellent on the ground can play across the back line. So if you want to put it at left, center, right, wherever, I think he fits in really well. 
And like I said, he's somebody that helps us with a little more, you know, assurance, a little more steel in the air where we've been missing it right now. So it does fix a lot of the things that we're missing. And I think he's he's definitely going to be a good signing. He's um, arguably like very determined, very motivated from his actions to come and play. Um, not yet broken into the you know upper categories of, of elite competition. Hasn't really had the chance to show what he can do in the Champions League or for France in the Nations League. So that's a little bit of a question mark. But I think at his age, I think he's 21. He's got enough time to prove that he can perform at the highest level. It's a good signing. Compared to, say, a Milan Skriniar for 60 at the age of 28. I mean, he's a good signing, but does he last you that amount of time? I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, I, I'm not sure in in the sense that uh, what information you have, but I'm pretty sure Fofana will get a six or seven year deal because that's what's been talked about in terms of the US owners coming in and handing out long term contracts, making sure it's easier on the books and easier to manage and, you know, tying them down for the foreseeable future. So, Hopefully a long-term signing. If he does work out, we don't have to worry about a centre-back for the next six, seven, eight years. So overall, looks like a sound signing. Again, money doesn't matter, to be honest, right now. I would I would rather say that the quality coming in compensates for everything else. No, I think that's a good description. I think, yeah, everything you say there is very valid. On the point of money doesn't matter, I think we have to now discuss uh, two other names, Anthony Gordon and also, firstly, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So with Aubameyang, Chelsea do still want to sign the player, but there is a lot of negotiations about how much he's going to actually cost. They have a, bre- a vague agreement on personal terms. It's quite broad still, but they think it's good enough to get it done. They've put in some offers verbally that have been rejected and Barcelona say, you know, they want 25 million. They want to be able to balance the books and sign Juan Foyf. Do you think Aubameyang is a good stopgap as a striking solution? Yeah, stopgap is the perfect word, to be honest. I wouldn't say that this is, you know, one of those uh, ingenious buys in the market, which tends to fix a lot of problems. I don't think so. I think it's just the club making contingency measures, looking at, Harvard's having no competition in terms of prior also having a couple of injuries from preseason and also now, plus him being untested in the system against, you know, sites that tend to sit down. I think that's been his weakness, his, un- his inability to basically showcase that he can do something against defenses that are anything other than high lines. So that's in terms of those question marks to bring somebody as experienced as him somebody who still has a skill set that is surprisingly intact comparing to his age, like 34 years old. Uh, he does bring incredible movement. I think something that Havertz also brings, but in terms of his finishing, I think he's definitely going to be one of the best finishers at the club. Somebody who can offer a lot of threat inside the box. I don't feel confident when you've got somebody like the Reese James putting in crosses because I don't exactly know who's going to get at the end of those. And with Aubameyang in there, I think there's there's definitely a certain chance that you manage to bag a couple of goals from there. So in terms of getting somebody who's obviously had a great equation with Tuchel, somebody who has world-class pedigree, I think it's very fair to say he is a world-class forward, even at this age and even at this time. He's done that at Barcelona. He showcased that he's still got the right kind of intelligence, the right kind of movement, the right kind of application. I mean, at 34, if you've got a centre-forward who's pressing 18 times a game, then you don't have to worry too much about endurance or about his commitment, his application. Then he showcases that he's able to not be a Lukaku and be a static centre-forward. 
Somebody can also offer drifting to either wing. You want him to go to the left, he does that. You want him to go to the right, he does that. Links up well. So in terms of the profile that we've been looking for, somebody who offers experience, big game pedigree, definitely a tick mark. But again, like you mentioned, I don't expect it to go any more than one, maybe a maximum of two years. Two years, probably a bit part role. But it'll be interesting to see which forward we're looking at after Obama Young. But I'm very certain you have a better idea of that than I do. Yeah, I mean, that's a story for another time. Um, in terms <laughs> of uh, the other man who we sort of mentioned, Anthony Gordon, obviously there's been a lot of uh, question marks, I think, over it. People sort of humming and erring over the signing. So I'm going to give you a chance now, Sam. I'm going to put two minutes on the clock and I want you to sell the player to us in two minutes. Okay, time starts now. <laughs> yeah, time so starts now. Yeah, yeah, so I think he's he's definitely an immensely talented individual. Um, I was reading about his history, researching for the piece. He's been released by you know Liverpool and Everton because he was too skinny, but technically extremely good. You know, even on rough cobblestone pitches, he was doing really really well. Extremely agile, extremely good in terms of pace and acceleration. Something that we've been missing in terms of a one v one threat. So I think he brings that. And I think uh, if you look at it, it's almost like a replacement in terms of Timo Werner, somebody who can offer that outlet on transitions. It's not something that you can you know, expect from Christian Pulisic or any of the other forwards that we have because Gordon is extremely quick. And uh, like I mentioned in my piece, I think in terms of his work rate, his industry, those are his extremely you know, standout qualities. He offers that kind of industry that that Tuchel really likes, um, loves pressing, loves doing the dirty work, a la Wayne Rooney. And uh, I think it's it's something that has given Tuchel a little bit of um, a Eureka moment in terms of somebody who can slot in at right wing or right midfield and also double up as a wing back out of possession. So in terms of versatility, somebody that offers that, somebody who can be moulded into the ideal player and... Um, I think he's got all the potential. He's got a lot of ingredients that can be sort of made into a great recipe. And uh, except for the price, if it was, say, 40, 35, 40 million, I would have been very, very happy that we're targeting for the future. And with young players, I always say that if, if it's a young player involved, I'm pretty sure Neil Barth has had a say in terms of what his potential is and whether he's worth pursuing. So um, I, I'm very confident because he's got a great track record in identifying those players. So overall, I think we should be, you know, very open-minded about Gordon. I think he's going to be a very good addition if he comes and will fit into the system and offer everything that Tuchel wants. So you managed to do it within the two minutes. So congratulations. The one final name. The, the one final yes. name I think we have to mention, and again, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, most likely, uh, the Armenian-Russian winger who's become linked with Chelsea in the last 24 hours. Apparently, a deal is now closed. Arsene Zakharayan. And again, I'm sure I've probably butchered the pronunciation there, but obviously uh, playing at Dinamo Moscow um, is done very well and already got a lot of experience for a young player. I know you're compiling a sort of detailed thread on him as per your poll but do you want to sort of discuss something you've already seen so far and what people might be able to expect if Chelsea did sign him I actually saw him um, about a year ago when he was sort of breaking out in the Russian Premier League and and he was being talked about as you know the next 
big talent to basically slot in after Alan Zakowiev and, and Alexander Golovin. So this exciting attack of it coming. So I watched a couple of games, but uh, unfortunately did not take detailed notes. It was just sort of like a casual watch in terms of what this guy, you know, has in terms of in his locker. Uh, but to be very honest, he has been doing very well in, in the past year. <clears throat> I just like glanced over his numbers. I've, I've, I'm one match down, so I wouldn't really be confident in terms of giving you, you know, an overall view in terms of what he is. But uh, he is somebody who can play as the eight in midfield, is comfortable on the left and the right um, wing. You know, he's able to play in those advanced positions. And uh, extremely clever attacker, I would say. Somebody who's got very good vision, able to pick out passes that most, you know, midfielders and, and attackers aren't really able to pick out. So we, there have been a lot of comparisons to to Kevin De Bruyne. I don't, I think that's excessive. But in terms of his creativity, in terms of being the lock picker in the side, I think he's definitely got potential. Uh, I think I, it was against Akmad Krosny that I was watching the game, and he had twenty five passes completed, and out of those seven, he created chances, which really explains what he's all about. Somebody who can dribble. Um, very two-footed. You know, very surprisingly, when I was watching him, I, I didn't really take any info into my mind when I was going into watching the game. I couldn't tell if he was left-footed or right-footed because he was he was very, very good in terms of the way he received, the way he sort of released the passes. Both look absolutely stunning. So, um, a creative player, two-footed, able to pick out passes and uh, create chances. Yes, Kevin De Bruyne is basically what I'm describing, but he's got a long way to go. He's still 19. Um, the Russian league isn't really, you know, elite in in the sense. It is a good league, but uh, yeah, I'm very very promising in terms of a wide playmaker profile. Something that we've looked at in Dembele in in Rafinha. I think he slots into broadly what we're looking at in that profile. I mean that's a, that's very interesting, and so well, all I'm hearing here is you're promising us the next Kevin De Bruyne. Is all I'm hearing. Please do not. <laughs> I'm being very optimistic. I, I mean, I, I will be able to offer a more nuanced, you know, reflection of my thoughts when I go through the customary seven to ten games and and look at everything that he has to offer, how he performs in cup finals, what his mentality is like, how he performs in bad games. I think that's also very important. Right now, I've just seen somewhere where he's performed really, really well. But I also want to see a couple of games where he didn't really perform well, where he was ineffective and to see what went wrong, how he reacts to that adversity. But in, in essence, I think the skill set is, I think, drawing parallels, yes. He's definitely in the wide playmaker kind of mold. A De Bruyne on the wing, I would say, which is basically where De Bruyne started when when he came from Genk. Um, somebody who was out wide and able to create passes. So, I think it's very promising. I think at 19, he has a lot of scope to grow and and somebody who can create is something that we've been lacking in our front line for the longest time. So very optimistic in, in case he comes. Uh, and then fingers crossed. Well, there you go. You heard it here, folks. Here first, folks. It's uh, the new De Bruyne, as Sam has promised. So, you know, we're talking Ballon d'Or winner in 10 years' time. I will say he's uh, he, he's very, very good after five years on... Uh, FM twenty two, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, he definitely is, he, is. he offers a lot in my uh, in in my save on on the game, but I think we uh, <laughs> quickly quickly discussing outgoings before we move on to the quiz. 
Um, if you had to choose between one of Ethan Ampadil or Billy Gilmore to stick around for the season, who would you pick and why? Wow, tough question, but um, in, in the circumstances, Billy Gilmore for sure. I think that we are lacking numbers in midfield. I do not trust Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a midfielder in in a midfield duo. I think far too often he shows a lack of understanding in terms of when to hold the ball, when to dribble, when to carry. I think that balance has always been skewed. Some of our worst games have happened when Tante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek were playing together, when, when we had that injury crisis with Kova out and Jorginho suffering the back injury. I think it was Brentford that we had Kante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. So I, I don't really feel confident there. Um, I would definitely feel more confident with Billy Kilmore being there. I understand that he's had a tough time. He's also had apparently a, a pretty bad preseason in terms of the behind-closed-doors games where apparently he didn't play well. Couldn't see the game because it wasn't televised. But in terms of somebody who has the intelligence, has all the qualities needed to to perform in that role, possession-oriented, somebody who can also offer vision, I think he's definitely somebody we should be looking to incorporate in the first-team picture, you know, even over Ampadu. Ampadu is somebody that I really like in terms of offering, you know, versatile profile, can fit in at centre-back. But Tuchel doesn't rate him at, at midfield. Um, hasn't been tried as the DM. He's been tried as the central midfield in in sort of like a double midfield, but not really tried as a DM in in a midfield three. So I'm not very optimistic that it will happen now that the season started. So I would rather take Billy Gilmore, who comes in ready to sort of slot right in in terms of an emergency, you know, midfield crisis. Which, God forbid, and and you know, I'm, I'm really being very sort of realistic here. It has happened last season with Kante's age, with Jorginho's, you know, injury issues and obviously the contract situation. Um, I would rather have, you know, some midfield cover before we inevitably go for whoever we have to go for next season. And uh, on that note, just to put you on the spot, if you could pick any one signing still to come in before the end of the window in any position, who would it be and why? <laughs> oh my god why would you do this to me rob um i would get rice 100 i think that's that's i think that's also something that the club would agree with me in terms of if he was attainable uh, we would definitely get him in make sure that there are no issues with the contract renewals with Conte and and georgie and and have enough of a balance in terms of getting the second midfielder to perform however it is that uh, the midfielder wants to perform so Rice would be my number one choice if he was attainable, if he was realistic. Uh, central midfield would be my position to strengthen. And, and assuming that Rice isn't attainable, who would be the second choice? Probably Ismail Benasser, uh, somebody who I think is is really good in terms of his defensive profile. I think is in terms of his defensive attributes, I think he's somebody who offers... A good balance, somebody who can carry the ball, can also, you know, link up well. But it's it's his industry in midfield, his willingness to run around, to to make it, you know, do, do the dirty work, I think has also been something that's been very underrated. So Benasser would have been, I think my 2.5 option, my second option would have been Fabian Ruiz, but he's on his way to PSG. And I think it would have been like a good signing. Again, a, a very stopgap signing, considering I think he's 29 or 30. Uh, would have been a very good option to to get in and, and play in there. So, would have been Rice, Fabian Ruiz and Ismail Benasser. 
And I think it's worth noting on Ismail Benacer, another player that Arsenal let go of as a kid and another player who they didn't think mm-hmm. was good enough. So some more outstanding decision-making from the youth scouts. <laughs> and and one of the other players that they let go of is now joining West Ham, Lucas Paqueta. So I think it's um, a good day for Arsenal, to be honest. I have to be honest, I've just found out Lucas Paqueta was on Arsenal's books as a youngster. I know he was at AC Milan and didn't really pull up any trees, but... Be interesting to see how he does in the Premier League. Now, yeah, I think he was at Arsenal. Yes, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but I mean, I, I register vaguely registered that he was at Arsenal's books. I mean, I will have to clarify, but I think he was. Now, on that note, are you ready for the quiz? Uh, yes, I would say so. <laughs> Marvelous. So, to run through the rules, you're going to have 90 seconds to answer five questions. You can take as long as you like on them, but remember, there is the 90-second time limit. And also, the more time you have left at the end, the higher your score is. You also get points for the correct answers. There's 10 points for each correct answer, plus also uh, you get points for the amount of seconds remaining, and that adds up to your overall score. But incorrect answers do lead to a penalty. So be aware that you can't just go through and get every question wrong just to try and have as much save time left because then you won't score very highly. Yeah, I think I think that was my strategy to just give you like five random answers. Uh, purple, uh, Yuri Zhirkov, and like finish it off and then like, you know, get points for like 89 seconds, I guess. So damn it, Rob, why are you making this so hard for me? Like I said before, I think you're going to do really well. I think, you know, you're one of my favourites for this. So... I've got the timer ready. Are you okay. are you sitting comfortably? Do you feel calm, prepared? Um, I I refuse to to reveal my mental state as of now, but <laughs> I hope I hope I can deliver. Marvelous. Okay. So in three, two, and one. Who scored Chelsea's opening goal at home against Juventus in the 2021 Champions League group stage match? The opening goal. Um, okay, can you go on to the second question? I'm going to think about it. Sure. Chelsea beat Wigan 8-0 to secure the Premier League title in 2010. Which future Chelsea player played that day for the visitors? Oh, Rilla. Okay, third question. Cesar Espelicueta passed 10 years at Chelsea this week. Which side did he make his first Chelsea Premier League start against? Okay, for the fourth question. <laughs> what shirt number did Papi Gillabodji wear during his brief spell at Chelsea? Mm, 29, I think. No. I'm going to hold that thought. Okay, go for it. Go who for. was Jose Mourinho's first ever signing at Chelsea Football Club? Oh, my God. Okay. Mm. Ricardo Carvalho? No, wait, 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 wait. Don't don't take my answer. Hang on. Um could be Carvalho, I don't know. Um, Paulo Ferreira, I think. It, it was Paulo sure. Ferreira, so I'll give you that one. Yeah. So you've still got mm-hmm. the opening Champions League goal. I have a guess from someone mm-hmm. from the squad. Five seconds. Oh, I have only five seconds left? <laughs> yes. Holy shit. And I thought it was time. 90 seconds to go. Oh my god! Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I thought okay, damn. Well, we got one correct answer. 
one incorrect answer and three not answered. Which... Actually, Wigan, I, and now I'm thinking of it, Wigan was, um, I think, uh, what was his name? Uh, no, I, I mean, I have no clue, to be honest. <laughs> it was so, so the answers you were looking for, the opening goal was Trevor Chaloba. Oh, uh, the header, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Then for Cesar Espelicueta's first Premier League start, it came in a 1-1 draw against Swansea City. Okay. And the Wigan player, and you're going to kick yourself, was uh, wing-back extraordinaire Victor Moses. Oh, my Lord. Oh. So, I'm afraid with you. What, what number was Gilabonji? Number 15. Oh, he wore number 15 for 38 it. seconds away at Warsaw, and it was beautiful. So... Brutal, Rob. Thank you so much for completely ruining my reputation as somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, at the moment, at the moment, I'm delighted to tell you, on your, with your score of minus ten seconds, you are currently in second in the leaderboard. The oh bad my news God. is there's only been two people. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, oh my! Uh, how much? How much can I pay you to edit this segment? Can <laughs> oh, we can no. we have an off off the air conversation regarding this, Rob? I, I'm afraid that's priceless. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to? Good questions, to be honest. Good questions. Yeah. Don't worry. That they've been tough every week. So, and they're mm-hmm. going to continue to be tough. My my aim is for the highest score for anyone to get to be about you know twenty seconds, and that would be if they oh. you know getting everything right. <laughs> Before yeah. we, I uh... mean, the negative the negative answers sort of like had me a little you know struggling. So I just said, okay, next question. I'm going to think about it. But holy, sh- I couldn't even think about the Juventus game because all I could remember was like. You know, the Callum Hudson-Odai goal and, and uh, Timo. And then after that, I was like, who was the first one? I couldn't guess. <laughs> that, that's why I picked the first one. I thought, why, pick, <laughs> why why not pick the late ones? But Yeah. Oh, be- my be- God. Before we wrap up, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter? Uh, yes. So my, my Twitter handle is CFCCentral3. And uh, on Substack, I mean, my Substack link is in my bio. So that's where basically I do all my work in terms of writing, in terms of videos and, and stuff like that so yeah feel free to please dm me and and have a lovely conversation on football marvelous uh, I, I thoroughly recommend it to everyone and next week we'll be back again looking back at the leicester game and also looking at deadline day i've been rob prattley this has been believe in chelsea and i hope everyone has a fantastic day thanks for having me rob <laughs>